What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, and another great episode of the Matt Baxter Show, hanging out with Alex Dross. Alex Dross is the CEO and founder of Connection Builders. Yeah, he helps make connections worldwide, in the country, in Michigan. He's a Detroit guy. We have a blast uh, smack talking about what it's like to network, what it's like to connect, what it's like to build leadership. And overall, Alex is just an amazing, amazing human being. So Alex, I just want to say a huge thank you for the work that you do. I have been a guest uh, and a part of your podcast as well. And just want to say a huge thank you for that. Thank you for the impact that you have. Thank you for the connections that you build. And uh, thank you for just the leadership that you uh, leave on other people's lives. So I hope everybody enjoys this episode just as much as I did. Alex, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Matt, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this today. So where in the world are you recording from? I am sitting in uh, Metro Detroit, Royal Oak, Michigan. Royal Oak, Michigan. I don't know if we actually, this is not one of those like, oh, let me bring this up. But actually I knew, I don't know if we ever actually ch- chat about this. I'm I'm from Ann Arbor, like east side of the state anyways. Um, are you originally from west or uh, the, the east side of Michigan? I'm from mid-Michigan. So I, okay. I was actually years ago born in, in Metro Detroit or actually in Detroit um, and then moved up and spent a uh, majority of my childhood in mid-Michigan and kind of farm country land and then have spent uh, kind of my professional career in the last 10 plus years of my life here in uh, in Detroit. So Royal Oak, from my interpretation, seems like it's just absolutely boomed and it seems like it's like a young kind of hipster millennial, maybe not hipster, but just like a young like happening town. Is that right? I, I, I would say that's very uh, an accurate way to describe it. The, the booming part, and th- this has been a wild thing. So I, my office um, set up the office that I'm in in downtown Royal Oak here in would have been November of 19. So remember the world a long time ago when it used to look way different. Um, and it, it's it's been really interesting being here, working here, being a part of the area throughout COVID because one, it was just wild being here when it's so quiet and the streets were quiet, but but also watching the construction and the, the amount of um, buildings and complexes, parking garages, uh, apartments that have all been built up in the, the kind of two or three square mile radius here since COVID to now is wild. So I was sitting down, there's a coffee shop and I'm sure there's a bunch, but there's a coffee shop right downtown Royal Oak and I was sitting having a coffee with a guy who's, I'm 28 and he was probably, I don't know, I think he's probably low thirties and good buddies. And we were talking shop and like, I kid you not, probably on the hour and a half we had coffee every 30 minutes, 50 people seemed like they came out of a yoga class or yoga studio, just nonstop rolling through the streets. And it was one of those things where it's like, it was like Tuesday afternoon and somebody could be looking at us, be like, okay, what do you guys do for a living where you can sneak away for coffee for an hour and a half? Of the-? And then I turn around and I looked at all these people. I'm like, how are you guys able to take like an hour and a half, two hour long yoga class and all these people in the same concentrated part of this town? I was like, all right, this place isn't too bad, but it was, it was fascinating. It, it, it's a young, it's definitely a young professionals town. No, no doubt about it. I dig it. I dig it. So, all right, man, give me uh, obviously we got a lot, we got a lot to catch up on. Um, we've known each other for quite some time. Um, and, and obviously other than kind of randomly bumping into each other in person, which is awesome, but most of our background has been through zoom calls, phone calls, et cetera. So give me the life background, the story, just, just give me the rundown. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, and this will be, I guess, helpful for listeners as well. So I, my background was investment banking started, actually, I go back to my education, started education in, um, accounting and finance, thought I wanted to be a CPA, went down that path, uh, soon realized that I don't know if that was for me, ended up starting my career doing investment banking, did transaction deal advisory work and spent a number of years doing that. 
and found myself a little bit burnt out, a little bit not loving it, not enjoying it, and said, hey, you know, I, I want to find something else where I have some more passion behind it, something that fuels me a little bit more, something that I, I really enjoy. And, and at the same time, found myself kind of having an entrepreneurial flair. Um, I, I think you and I really have connected on this before, kind of what does it mean to be an entrepreneur and taking some of those risks and being a visionary, coming up and solving a new challenge and use, finding a solution that hasn't existed before. And so I, I dove out to, to start that and create all of that in the uh, middle of 2019. So going on three years now. And as you can imagine, the whole world's changed. Now, uh, you know, you and I, have, we've talked a uh, number of times on and off, as you said, through COVID and mostly virtually. And obviously we've bumped into each other in, in Grand Rapids a few times, luckily. Um, the, you know, what, what my, my change, what's going on in my life and my world is really just at this point, three years in entrepreneurship, it, it's really kind of fun to look back and reflect and see how much has changed and how much I've grown, how much I've learned and just how, how radically different my life looks now, both because of the pandemic and in the changes that's brought into all of our worlds, but also just my own life from, from the steps I've taken and the, the adventure I've gone on in this kind of entrepreneurial journey, if you will. So, um, I want to I want to double click. So I've, I've I've got buddies who've worked in investment banking. I've got tons of uh, tons of people that I've gotten to know through the years. And um, don't take this as a downside, but your story is not unique when it comes to uh, the the specific burnout. phrase around burnout. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so what I wanted to like ask or double click on is like whatever you're comfortable disclosing, what is it that's the burnout? Is it just like the constant pressure from middle management just, you know, riding on top of people's backs? Is it just the deal flow that, you know, once you're finished one, you're on to the next one? Is it like, <clears throat> can you point your finger towards a couple things that when people say, man, was an investment banking got burnt out? Like what, what is that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think it's very common. I, I know a, a number of people, a number of friends that have gone through a similar burnout cycle and in investment banking is a, a very clear one. I, I think a, a lot of the world of, of consulting high finance um, kind of carries very similar types of uh, um, kind of trajectory, the traditional burnout process. Um, what I'll say reflecting on this, and this is something I, I've truly spent a lot of time reflecting on for myself personally is when I look at what is burnout, and, and I think this is kind of a, a broad definition that we can all relate to, but burnout is often caused by being in a situation where we, we don't feel like we're enjoying what we're doing and we feel out of control in our day-to-day -day work environment. And the, the out of control component is typically the, the real underlying factor for anyone who's dealt with burnout in any element of their life. It, it's feeling like, oh man, this is like daunting. It never ends. I, I don't have any grip, any control of that. And, and tying that back to kind of my, my previous role in investment banking, and this is by speaking by, by no means speaking any ill will or anything negative about the the organization, the environment, the culture I was in. Um, and, and while every every organization, every culture has their challenges, investment banking in particular tends to be a um, it's a business model that is transaction based, right? It's very um, I, I do a transaction, I'm done, it's it ends, I start over. So it creates a a little bit of maybe a hamster wheel type feeling, a never ending spin. Um, where you're kind of doing the same thing again and again and again, and you feel like, oh, I've done really awesome, then it's done and you start all over. 
And, and I, I believe for myself personally, that was definitely a major triggering point for it. And I think a lot of folks that are in that find themselves there, right? When you start in it, it's high pressure. There's a lot to do. You're constantly going in. And that can be really fun. That can be really exciting. You can learn a lot. But at some point, you just get worn out and you're like, man, I, I've been through 25 deals now. Like, And it's kind of the same thing. There's a lot of repetitiveness. There's a lot of that. And then you layer on top of there, it's high pressure, it's high stress. It's, it's, it's very much a lot of ups and downs. It can be an emotional roller coaster. Um, and and there, there's always pressure and, and, and not necessarily every, again, every organization has cultural issues, but I, I think culturally organizations in, in investment banking tend to create kind of a high pressure, get this done type of mentality, which oftentimes is what's required when you're in a client service business and you're working in something that is so time sensitive and so, um, so high pressure and in so much of a, a critical manner for people. So I think those variables come together to really create that. What I will say, and, and this is, I think goes well with this conversation. When I look back at my, my experience myself and what, what kind of got me to where I was, the, the burnout was some to do with the work and, and the feeling of being out of control and, and, you know, a multitude of things, but, really what would probably push me in the direction where I'm at today is recognizing that I don't know if that's going to be wildly different by going somewhere else, uh, short of having kind of a major career change, which is in effect what I did. Um, I, I think that exists very often there. And, and so I, I, that's really why I believe many times you do see people and that, again, that industry is notorious for having folks that get to a certain point in burnout. Um, and, and that's, there's different ways to deal with burnout, right? I, my way was to change things. There are a lot of other ways to deal with burnout and, and, um, address it. But I, I really think so much of it comes back to that kind of hamster wheel type process. Yeah, no, I totally, totally, uh, totally agree on that front. And it's, you know, burnout's such a fascinating thing because <clears throat> so as an entrepreneur, I think burnout, um, there has been plenty of seasons looking back. So, I mean, I've been in, I'm 28 now. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 15. So I'm not, you know, b almost a decade and a half. And there's definitely seasons that I look at of what burnouts, um, you know, that I could have seasons that it, knowing what I know now, I could say I was definitely burnt out. And there's definitely this balance of like, okay, am I burnt out, but I'm doing the, doing this for the right reasons, the right causes. And it's just a season I got to either power through or take a step back or bring somebody else in because I can't do this, some of this work on my own or whatever. Or is this like, man, I'm burnt out and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no passion to this. And that's when I got to make a change or got to make an adjustment or whatever it may be. And it's, you know, there's a reality to all of that. So I, I, I respect obviously you taking the step back and sort of reflecting on who you are. And that kind of transitions, I guess, to my next question for you is what was like the first um, taste for entrepreneurship? I mean, you and I have chatted and obviously that's, that's part of our DNA, but for you, like if you could point to a moment, a thought, um, an opportunity. What what was kind of that first taste for you? Yeah, so um, I'll back up a long way here. So if I go back and and look at kind of my my life as a child, and and I gosh, I maybe third grade, second grade, something like that. I, I can remember like lemonade stand. I, I was uh, I did lemonade stands. I remember we had garage sales. I'd be the hustler that was trying to sell all my stuff. Um, got into Pokemon cards, try to sell those for a little while. Um, I, I can remember like selling little like die cast figures that I had made. Like, I think I've always had a little bit of a, a flair for that. It's always been a little bit of part of my personality risk taking. 
Um, when I was when I was in high school, I actually uh, a group of friends and I created a um, a paintball field, and we allowed people to play paintball and, and charge for that. And that that really grew into a a little bit of an entrepreneurial venture in high school that I really enjoyed. And then I, I kind of looked forward when I was in college. I, I spent time in college. I, I would sell my notes. Uh, it, it's a company called it's Chegg now. I can't remember what the they had some study note thing, and I, I remember writing notes and and kind of selling like study guides to the the classes. And I I guess what I'd say is I've always had a little bit of that kind of hustle in me and, and that kind of um, that risk taking, visionary. Let's try something new to to advance forward um, is part of my my DNA. To 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 really answer wh- when did I I kind of you know get it more as a, I'll call my myself a mature adult a, a professional and and really in in um, more of a um, kind of career build a business around it mentality I, I would really attribute that to my experience in investment banking I mean the the firm I was with Cascade Partners small um, boutique firm based in Southfield Michigan and and I, I was fortunate to work under a. Uh, the founder Raj Katari and and Raj was a very entrepreneurial in, individual and um, I had a very entrepreneurial experience working in that organization. There was a lot of uh, hey, we don't really have a, a set way of doing this and we don't necessarily know what we need to do. We know what the end goal is, but we don't know how to get there. So let's solve it and figure out how to do it. Figure out how to to do it more efficiently. Figure out how to solve a challenge that exists. Figure out how to add value. And, and that was really where the, the, the lesson started coming clear to me is like, what, what I like, what I really enjoy is the problem solving element, the kind of, okay, I know what I'm trying to get to, I have no clue how to get there. And, and I, I embrace that unknown and lean into that. Um, and that that's, I think, where the it really kicked in. I was like, okay, this is this is what I love doing and, and kind of back to when I made the decision to, to do what I'm doing today and to take a step out of my, my previous career. It was like, okay, I'm burnt out. I need to find something else. What's going to get me fired up in, in the what that got me fired up. And, and I'm very passionate about the, the specific work I do today. But what really got me fired up was this idea of like starting with blank canvas and saying, I, I want to create something from the ground up, something from scratch, something that didn't exist before, because that that unknown and that uncovering that and looking for ways again to solve a challenge or add value in the marketplace that doesn't exist today that that is the entrepreneurship that that's what i really enjoy so you mentioned the uh <clears throat> the idea around um solving problems and um you know just the just the challenge of what problems need to be solved so today in your career path what what would you say is sort of the the high level you know sort of grandiose plans and challenges that you're trying to solve to the what does the day-to-day look like for alex of what 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 kind of in the weeds problems are you solving regularly or helping yeah, solve? No, excellent, excellent question. I, I, I really, I appreciate that. So um, I'll step back in, in our business, Connection Builders, what we do, what we focus on. And, and I guess maybe the first comment on this, this isn't necessarily what I thought it would be from day one. And what I think it is today will not be what it is in five years, right? I'm sure the same experience you've had, things evolve, you change over time, you learn as you go. Um, but when I, when I step back from the, the very beginning, the, the macro challenge, the the real what I wanted to see change and affect change in the marketplace was looking at professional services firms. So whether it be accountants, lawyers, other consultants, um, you know, my, my previous life, investment banking, private equity, everyone who, who plays in some form of a consulting type professional based role. The, the challenge is often that your career starts with a highly technical skill set, but then moves into more of a soft skills. 
and firms and organizations tend to value wanting to invest in their people and develop their people. But oftentimes there tends to lack a true initiative behind it, a structure, a, a, a process to follow. And then most importantly, kind of that, that consistent development over time and then the accountability function to really ensure that, that you know, we, we're keeping to our goals and that we're really accomplishing and achieving that, that personal growth, that professional growth and developing that skill set that makes us successful in the long run. Um, that that's what we're trying to solve is, is why what, that exists. I hear it all the time. I talk in the marketplace. If you're a leader in an organization, a professional services organization, I'm sure it's something that's on your radar. Um, what I've learned in this whole process in, in, you know, backing it down, as you said, back into my day to day and going to the, the micro level, what, what I do on a day to day basis is partially spend my time talking to the market, whether that be customers, prospects, um, other individuals, the, the other stakeholders within that kind of professional growth cycle, the, the participants, and um, really asking, well, why does this exist? What, like, what's the challenge? What are you seeing? How come this is happening? Why is that not happening? Whatever it might be. And then I, I learned from that. And my job in as a business owner, as a visionary, is to figure out how to build systems to accomplish that. How do we how do we add value? How do we go out and, and, and solve that, help create that accountability, create that consistency, help firms measure what the true ROI is on the investment they're making in people, all of those elements. How do we do that effectively in, in a way that, that truly drives results? And, and so it really comes down to so much of, learning, documenting, thinking, planning, strategizing, and then most importantly, building the systems and the processes out to ultimately effectively deliver that service. So let's <clears throat> hypothetically, of course, say that you were talking to a startup founder of 15 employees that wants to invest into his people, hold each other accountable to what, you know, not necessarily to, uh, hey, I'm, I'm just, you know, the quote unquote boss, and I just want everybody to outperform all our goals, not just that, but I more mean like, hey, <clears throat> I more want to hold you to what you said you could do, whatever that may be. And let's mutually agree that that's a value out of the company, but creating sort of that, what you said, that accountability. What's kind of the first, mm, what, what would you say is like the most common low-hanging fruit that you, uh, of mistakes that you see from leaders when it comes to accountability? Yeah, so um, I, I, would, I would actually say it's consistency before accountability. Um, accountability is an element. I want to dive into that a little bit deeper, but what, what I, the, the simplest kind of the, the common mistake is, well, we tried something, we, we got an initiative off the ground. It lasted like six months and then we forgot about it. We moved on. And that without that, that ongoing consistency, you'll never see the results. And if you don't see the results, you lose momentum. You stop wanting to do it. So backing up, how do you create that? How do you make sure you keep that consistency going and how do you build that accountability? A huge component of this is you have to be very clear on what you're trying to accomplish from the beginning, and then you have to continuously reflect on what's going well and what's not, and are you on track? Are you meeting the goals? And, and that comes down to having the appropriate measurements, the appropriate way of tracking. And that doesn't mean getting complex and, and trying to track all sorts of data. It, at times it can, but often it's so much about just having a clear understanding of where you're trying to go and how you're going to measure if you're getting there and then tracking that measurement, knowing that things are going to change. Life is going to change. And, and I'll use a really simple one. I, I, 
Um, I'm going to take it outside of the business world for a second. Let's take it into health and fitness. So I, I want to run a marathon. Not, not really. I'm, I'm more of a biker than a runner, but let's just use the analogy. I want to run a marathon. Well, if I want to run a marathon, I have to consistently work on improving my endurance and my strength and my ability to run. So I have to constantly practice, right? And I'm probably going to start with trying to get to a 5K. Then maybe I'm going to go for a 10K and I'm going to slowly work my way up there. And what I want to track is how often am I investing time in running? How often am I investing time into my recovery, whether that be stretching or cross training, other things that are going to help me ultimately achieve that goal. And then I want to also track my performance. How long is it taking me to run? How far am I running each of those times? And the, the key is less about in, in everyone. This is, I think, a, a accountability goal setting challenge is I may say, okay, my goal is to be able to run the 5k in 20 minutes and to be able to do that by the end of August. Okay, great. That's what I'm, I'm striving towards. How do I do it? Well, I have to run X number of days a week. I have to do cross training X number of days a week. This is the speed I should be at. I want to track that. I want to track and focus on trying to get there. I may not get there. And my ultimate goal is to, to hit that. But what I, my real, real goal under that is to track what I'm doing and stay consistent with my plan. Because I may get to the end of August and just not be there yet. And that's okay. That happens. Adjust my plan. Go back to it continue, but I have to have had something I'm tracking all along the way in some way to look at that on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis to know if I'm continuing to trend in the right direction. Because if I don't have that, if I have no grip and no understanding of that, how do I create real accountability? How do I, how do I help myself know if I'm even doing the right thing to begin with? And how can I answer to myself if I'm staying true to my goals, if that makes sense? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. It certainly does. What, um, this is not to challenge that analogy, but let me let me take that a step further um, because so <clears throat> a lot of times consistency and some of the account accountability. I like that you said the consistency comes first. I think that's amazing. Is it's in that scenario that's all on you. That's waking up every morning. That's saying okay, I'm going to run three miles today, five miles today, rest day, stretch, etc. But then <clears throat> what gets hard is that now all of a sudden you got to manage somebody else managing somebody else sort of thing right yeah. and creating that of it's not just um alex waking up and running it's now alex and it's now alex asking matt to get up and run and how do you build some of those pipelines i'd be curious sort of how you ad address some of that as well too because I, I love the consistency every time i mean that's one of my I, I'm going to kind of reimagine and rethink because of that, the way I'm going about accountability is it's less about what am I holding you to? It's more about consistently, you know, agreeing and, and showing up every single day and, and, you know, the consistency of all that. So I love that analogy, but do, can you take that just a little bit step further? Yeah, no, no. It, it, great, great question. And I'm going to, I'm going to help us think outside the box here for a minute. So let, let's think about accountability. And this is a, I think a little bit of a unique way of looking at it, but I, I tend to believe that accountability is not something that that I can hold someone else to, right? And we always use like, I'm going to hold Matt accountable. And, and, and I'm not saying that we don't use that terminology or that, that framework of thinking. But truthfully, when I say I'm going to hold you accountable, I might ask you, did you do something? I can set up a structure, a consistent structure of checking in with you. I can... Um, insist that you are tracking the appropriate metrics or track the metrics for you if I have a system to do that to say, you know, let's take the running analogy. Okay, Matt, here's the plan. Here's what you're supposed to do. I'm going to check in with you on a, a, a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, whatever the, the rhythm might be and say, hey, did you do this? And you're going to tell me whether you did it or not. 
at the end of the day, the only thing I can do that to when working with you is in while I am creating that space and that structure and that opportunity to ask you those questions to help create that accountability. The only thing I can really do is give some form of consequence to you, meaning that I can say, hey, and, and let's take the employer-employee relationship or the, the team leader relationship. I, I can say that we're, this is part of your review and this is going to affect your compensation. This is going to affect your, um, your potential for future promotion, your potential for different opportunities, whatever it might be. I, I can create a consequence for you around that. But at the end of the day, the accountability has to be created by you. You have to create self-accountability to want to go do it. And, and that thinking under that framework, and I, and I think this is something important for leaders to recognize, is that you want to create the structure and the space and the, the dynamics that really promote and foster a healthy level of self-accountability, of personal accountability for those team members to reach their goals. But they themselves have to want to have that because at the end of the day, the only thing you're really going to do in the back end is create consequences. Now, with that said, there is a reason to create consequences or incentives, right? And, and incentives are consequences in some ways, right? Like you either get the incentive or the consequences, you don't get the incentive. But to, to really think about, okay, how do I align that incentive? How do I create the right um, ways to reward people for sticking to that and to doing that? But really, my objective, my goal as a leader is to help you create that personal accountability for yourself in doing what you're supposed to. And again, I do that by creating the space for you and to create the structure. But I, ha I have to stay consistent. I have to hold myself accountable to having those meetings, to checking in with you, and to not accepting the answer of, oh, I didn't really feel like running this week, so I didn't. Or, oh, I didn't really track my my stuff I was supposed to track, so I didn't. Well, okay, Matt, well, it's really important that you do, and we're going to sit down and meet again next week, and you better have this ready, right? And, and so you have to do those things. But at the end of the day, you need to get that individual to hold themselves accountable. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, <clears throat> it's um, it's one of those things where, so I, I decided to stop drinking and I'm almost five weeks in now. And it's, I, I've, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's not um, just a better life choice than the alternative, for, at least for me personally. But I've talked to a lot of people and, uh, you know, it's been shocking to me how many people um, gave up drinking at some point in their life, et cetera. Moral of the story is not to give up drinking, but it's more some of the people that I've talked to. And, and it's been amazing, kind of the repetitive nature of like, if, if you know somebody's going down a bad path, they got to want to change for themselves. You can't want them to want to change. I mean, same thing applies here. It's like, look, at the end of the day, you can insert consequences of what's associated, but at the end of the day, they got to want it for themselves. And that's where a lot of this is created. So, and I mean, that's one of the greatest part of, parts about leadership is that it's, it's inspiring people to want more for themselves. It's not demanding that they want more of themselves. And it's, I don't know, it's, uh, I, I like the lesson all, excuse me, all around. Well, in, in all I'll say, Matt, and this is this is a, a hard part, I think, oftentimes, especially for younger leaders, younger man managers that are trying to um, to help create this within their team. 
you, you yourself as the leader have to keep yourself accountable and consistent to doing these check-ins. And, and that, that can be as hard as anything else. And if, if you're supposed to be like, let's just say you and I are doing this running together. Well, I better be running too. I better be doing what I'm asking you to do or else if I don't set that tone, if I don't set that example, I don't hold you consistent in having those meetings and having those check-ins and asking where things are. If I don't do that, it'll never work. But recognizing that again, my objective is all about helping you be able to figure it out on your own. I, I think that's leadership at its core. That's right. That's spot on. Um, so <clears throat> for you, you know, let's say the, uh, let's say the perfect, um, the perfect kind of situation issue company, uh, team falls right into your lap of where, you know, man, I could help them or I want to help them or I would enjoy the challenge. What does that look like? And you don't necessarily have to talk about it could be industry related. It can be company size, or it could just be, Hey, people that are struggling with blank. That's where I would love to come in and help. Yeah. So, um, I, I would say for, for our organization in particular, we focus on typically service-based businesses, um, professional services. This is where you're, you're typically selling some form of an intangible product that is much more about selling professional expertise and has a lot to do with the relationship element of um the the kind of the b2b complex sale portion um so so starting there that that's our our down the fairway organization where where we really drive the most value is there has to be has to be an appetite to want to invest in people and and that really comes to the tone of leadership and and i don't mean they're just saying it but there's a true and actually i'll I'll back up i'll give you this is a a little bit of a, a rabbit hole we're going to go down, but I'll give you some some experience I've had to learn along the way. I was told early on starting a business like this, when you're doing kind of a training and development, a personal growth, professional growth type business, that value comes down to perceived value and that you have to charge what your services are worth or else people will never value them. And, and, and meaning don't be the low cost provider. Don't don't just try to be the cheapest doing it. Don't just take something on it in, in any price possible. Because at the end of the day, what you charge someone for the service is what they value the service to be. Now, how that plays in and how that, that kind of lines back up of what, what's the, the, the right situation for us to add value, it's an organization that, that's stepping back and, and not just saying, hey, our people are really important. We want to invest in them. But it's an organization that says, hey, our people are really important and we want to invest in them. And, and we mean that and we're going to invest real dollars in it. And I'm not saying that we're, we're, we're a premium service. There, there is a, a, you know, oftentimes a substantial cost, especially when you're working with large teams and, and, and implementing our, our service. But at the end of the day, if you're saying, and, and it's, again, let's go back to the running analogy. I want to run a marathon, but I want to do it with only having to train for 25 minutes a week. Well, guess what? It's not going to work right? If you're not willing to make that investment of resources, and I, I say resources, it, it is money and cost is, is always a, a, an element of that. But it's also giving your people the time and the flexibility to actually not only complete the, the kind of learning component, but also to put that learning into practice and to invest in themselves and to take that time to grow. If you're not willing to invest those resources and, and knowing that they, they are meaningful resources. If you're not willing to do that, you're not going to get the results. So again, for us to, to really drive value, they have to, the organization has to want to invest in people, but also be willing to, to truly 
make that investment and, and then build the right alignment incentives internally. Because if not, then we're just we're wasting everyone's time. If, if we're trying to do it to, to make it look like we're investing, and if there isn't kind of a genuine sense of um, desire behind that, then then at the end of the day, we'll, we'll all be disappointed in the outcomes. You know, it's <clears throat> given our space, just in the HR tech space, it's amazing. One of the one of the areas we I've seen this happen a lot is the diversity and inclusion conversation, and it seems like um, with everything that's happened in the last twenty four months, companies have invested dollar amounts, meaning hired global heads of diversity, chief people officers that with the focus on that. But yet, <clears throat> there are certainly some organizations that think, okay, we hired one person, they're going to solve all of our problems, and that's going to be that. And I wrote one big check, and it fixed the problem. It's like, no, that, that's that's not. You have to show up every day. You have to empower folks to, um, you know, whether it's lead trainings or have a voice at the table or sit at the leadership table or whatever it may be. And so, same thing with with what you're talking about here is like, yes, there's a cost and. Companies need to get over the hump of investing that, but also it is showing up every single day and implementing uh, what you what you guys have have led with and what you guys have taught and what you guys have trained on. So I, I it, it makes all the sense in the world. It goes back to the consistency thing. You can't have one really 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 good workout like writing one really big check and expect all your cha- you know you're ready to go run a marathon. You're not. It's got to take daily showing up, bite sized increments, that whole thing. So I love it. Well, and, and I, I'll add on to that. And this is, um, I think this is with any kind of growth, but particularly when you're talking about people growth, um, and I'm sure you've seen this as an entrepreneur, that, that at times it feels like you're spinning your wheels, you're doing a whole bunch of work for nothing, and you don't really understand why you're doing it. And it doesn't always seem like it's that effective. And, and that that's often when people want to throw the towel in and give up on it. Um, and maybe that's a 6, 12, 18, 24 month window where it's like, man, this is just really challenging. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, wow, wow, that's a lot of change. Wow, I handled that situation differently. Wow, I have a different perspective that helped me overcome this. And, and that that tends to be delayed, delayed gratification, delayed outcomes. And, and anytime you're focused on growth and again, investing in people, you have to give time and space to allow that to happen. And that comes back to why it's consistency over time. You have to commit to it. You have to stay focused on it. You have to give time to let that that implementation work and allow the outcomes and the results to truly start to be seen and felt. Yep, that's 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 spot on. Um, so, <clears throat> Alex, for you, my, my, my favorite question in the world is uh, what gets people out of bed in the morning? And the premise of that is kind of the imp- tailored around like what impact do you want to have? What influence do you want to have? Um, you know, what, what mark do you want to leave in the world? And so I, I, I love that in the form of the question of what gets you out of bed in the morning. So I'd love to get your response to that. No, I, so great, great question. Let me answer it in two ways. So, um, I, on part one, I'm going to answer from my passion. Um, and, and this is, uh, it's, it's cliche maybe, but it's, you know, it's the altruistic. It's the idea that I really want to help other people excel, other people achieve things. I, I like seeing people win. I, I really do believe in, in adding value to other people. And, and there, there's countless people I've worked with, whether it be in our, our programs and our group programs, or even some individuals I've, I've worked kind of one-to-one from a coaching perspective. And, and like, y- you just see the growth, you see the change and it takes time, but you see them and like, oh, I did this or I accomplished this. You help them build confidence. You help them build self-awareness. You help shift a perspective. You help people um, really just approach life and work and, and um, relationships in a different way. 
that allows them to enjoy life more, to have a greater ripple effect, to continue to, to drive um, uh, better outcomes all around them. And, and so I, I really do enjoy that. I, I really, and I, I think many people enjoy some element of that. Um, you know, the, what I'll, what I've learned and, and I, I've definitely been a lesson through entrepreneurship. You can find that in many different ways. You don't have to like, I, again, I do coaching, training, professional development, leadership. Um, that that's a way that it directly, like a vast majority of my work falls within that kind of, that, that category of seeing, experiencing that. So that that's, the um, it's one way to, to experience that, but there's other ways to add value to, to kind of find that, that joy, that passion that gets you there. Um, to, to answer the kind of the second part or the second way, and this is, again, this is a big lesson I've learned over the last couple of years, the, the component that really, I think keeps me going. So you say, get out of bed, but getting out of bed, step one, but then, then they get a lot of hours ahead of you that you got to keep going. Um, what, what keeps me going through the day is really the creative element of the work I do today. And it's the, you know, it's sitting here right now doing a podcast or I, I, I've been recording podcasts a good chunk of it today, right? I do uh, a lot of presenting, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of course development, course creation, whether, you know, uh, um, speaking um, and all of that thought leadership creation, content creation. And, and that's a highly creative element. It's a highly creative when you're starting with nothing and saying, okay, well, I've, I've got to come up with thoughts and ideas behind this. And um, I may have some thoughts in my head, but I'm going to do some research. I'm going to have to gather ideas. And I'm going to have to organize thoughts and I have to figure out how to develop those thoughts further and say it in a way that resonates with my audience. And all of that is a creative element. And, and for me, and I, I think for most entrepreneurs, you start to realize that that, that kind of creator, that creative mindset is very important um, to, to driving and fueling that passion further. Yeah, <clears throat> that's, um, that's inspiring, man. I mean that. Um, Thank you. So for people that want to follow along with what you're doing, want to reach out, want to hear more, uh, or even engage with you know your business, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, reach out to you, learn more? Yeah, for, for sure. So um, find me on LinkedIn, Alex Drost. Um, it, it's, I think it's LinkedIn, whatever, forward slash age roast. I, I was uh, lucky to lock that domain in years ago, long before LinkedIn was cool. Um, so make sure to find me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to see what I'm doing. Keep up with me. We've got a, we've got a podcast uh, page on LinkedIn as well. You can find and follow that to, to keep up with some of the content we're doing there on the, the Branch Out podcast. Um, and then if you're interested in learning more about the business, the platform, and some of the work we do, you can check out Connection Builders. So it's just www.connection.builders. Um, you can also Google Connection Builders or, again, find me on LinkedIn and find uh, my company profile and, and find us through that way. I love it. I love it. Alex, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. You're the man, and uh, this has been awesome. No, I appreciate it, Matt. This is an awesome conversation. Thank you for having me. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at thematbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, 
or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way and don't be afraid to share the Map Action Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.